Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, greetings and welcome to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. And I'm Francis Harry, your host today. Unfortunately, Mark could not be with me. But I do have a very special guest who is calling in for our conversation. I'm going to tell you a little about um, a little bit about him, but I would like to start with an opening prayer. Um, we're, our topic tonight is the role of prayer in developing faith. So I picked for our opening prayer a family prayer for the year of faith. So on this feast of Saint Martha, let's do what Jesus told Martha. You know, to you know, not be so troubled. Put the troubles aside, and let's sit with Mary at the feet of Jesus and pray this prayer together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, our Father, in Jesus you call all Christian families and homes to be signs of living faith. By the light of the Holy Spirit, lead us to be thankful for the gift of faith. And by that gift, may we grow in our relationship with Jesus, your Son, and be confident witnesses to Christian hope and joy to all we meet. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, like I said, I have a very special guest. And this person has been with us before and has much to offer in helping us in Carmel. In fact, I was told um, by one of the deacons in my parish that when he was taking uh, classes to become a deacon, um, who was also in the same class as this person, our guest, he said that, Whenever he spoke, all the teachers and all the students alike listened very carefully to what he had to say because he always had something really good to share. So it is with great joy that I welcome an OCDS member of the Cincinnati community who is the Assistant Professor of Philosophy at the Athenaeum in Ohio, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Please welcome with me Deacon and Dr. Tracy Jameson. Hello, Tracy. Are you there? Hello, Francis. Yes, I'm here. Oh, wonderful. I'm so glad you could be with us tonight. And um, I wanted you to uh, tell our listening audience a little bit about the Athenaeum and also your connection to Mount St. Mary's Seminary. Could you help us out there? Well, sure. As you mentioned, I went through diaconate formation here. And, um, you know, in that formation, I was I was just passing along the wisdom that uh, we received from our OCDS formation. So, <laughs> if there was any, if they were paying attention to anything I was saying, it was because of all the good insights from Saint John of the Cross and Saint Teresa that we, you know, that we learned and share share with others now. But it kind of I, reminds me of the phrase, "Ah, oh, the sheer grace." <laughs> yes. So I. I first came to here to the Athenaeum to visit the library, and that at that time I was a Protestant, and uh, I was studying theology at Cincinnati Christian University, and uh, I got very interested in the theological library at the Athenaeum, and so I uh, used it for research, and that was my that was my first contact, and. Uh, For a lot of people, it's that way. The library here is marvelous, so many people come here to use the library, and it is open to the public. So um, that's a great resource for for everyone. Now, later, after I became Catholic, um, I ended up coming back here to study in the lay pastoral ministry program. 
And then after I completed that program, I began uh, diaconate formation, which is three years of formation. So it's a great institution. Uh, It's got three divisions. It's got the seminary, uh, in which I now teach. I'm a professor, an assistant professor of philosophy. So I teach pre-theology. So basically I teach philosophy courses as part of the seminary formation for those who are discerning the priest, the call to the uh, priestly uh, ministry. And then we also have the lay pastoral ministry program, which is open to all lay people who are discerning uh, uh, ministry in the parish or in different forms of apostolate. And then there's the special studies division, uh, which includes the diaconate program and some degrees in biblical studies and theology. Um, you know, according to what we have to offer here, we've been uh, we've been around for 180 years. Actually, uh, we uh, the Athenaeum started downtown, uh, where Saint uh, Xavier Church now stands, and that would have mm-hmm. been in a- 1829. So wow. that's where it all started with four theology students and six students in classics. So <laughs> from there, amazing we- what us. What a small seed that can just really blossom and create such great fruit. And now you're a part of that great fruit and you're getting to share all the the blessings that you've received with all of us and all the listening audience here at Radio Maria. So I am so glad you're here with us tonight. Thank you. And, you know, we're going to talk about prayer and faith. And I I remembered as um, we were discussing what topic for tonight that... um, when I was very young, probably mm, sixth or seventh grade, we could always order books, you know, through the school. And sometimes those book orders would have posters. And I remember particularly getting a poster that had this um, quote on it. And, and I didn't know at the time that it was from Scripture, but now that now I do. But it is from Hebrews 11.1. 1. But this is what the poster said. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that stuck with me over and over and over again. And, and today I think it is a great introduction to what you're going to share with us about faith and prayer. So I think uh, probably the best way to start is, okay, what is faith? Okay, well, faith. Faith is a virtue. Um, there, there are two forms of faith we talk about. Uh, faith is a natural human virtue that resides in the intellect. We all speak of faith um, when we believe the testimony of another. You know, St. Augustine became a Christian when he, he realized how much he had taken things on faith. You know, when his parents informed him of things or in, in other areas of life, I mean, there, there, are many, there, there are many areas in which we accept things on the basis of a word of another. We accept their testimony. So faith is a form of knowledge, but it's mediated by a person or a group of persons. So it's, it's a mediated form of knowledge that isn't, it's not the conclusion of a proof, and it's not based upon senses, right? It isn't just, you know, by means of the senses, knowing, knowing something uh, that is evident uh, to the senses. Uh, it's not evident to the intellect either, because it isn't subject to proof, but it is taking the word of someone else and believing them, specifically because what they are saying is credible. 
they're giving us a credible testimony. Now, as Christians, um, you know, in the, in the Ju- Judeo-Christian tradition in general, and, and we see this in other uh, religions, especially Islam, uh, uh, there's the concept of divine revelation, where we know that God reveals himself to us and to all people at different points in their lives and by different means, and that there is actually a word of God. In other words, God exists, and he has not been silent. And so, in speaking truths and revealing truths to us, it becomes possible not just to believe the word of human persons, but to believe the word of a divine person, to believe the word of God as he gives us testimony uh, of his own love and of his own being. So that, that is what we talk about. Sometimes we say human faith and divine faith. Human faith is a natural virtue. Divine faith is something supernatural. It's infused into us, and it includes everything that God does in our lives to make it possible for us to know him and believe him in a personal way. This is the point at which God becomes a friend. Okay, I know that often when we talk about faith, we also talk about reason. Can you tell us now what reason is and how those two work together or apart? (laughs) Well, it's um, usually uh, been understood. uh, I mean, there's a long history of discussion about uh, the relationship between faith and reason. But... The Church has come to a understanding that they they are two modes of knowledge that overlap. So there are certain truths which can be known uh, through reason, but they also become known in faith as well. And there are different uh, Christian philosophical positions about how how those should be related. Now, St. Thomas would say that, you know, when a truth like the existence of God, right, which can be known by faith, because if God speaks, he reveals that he exists, you know, and we can know the existence of God by faith, by encountering God in our lives, we can know that, but if we master a proof for the existence of God, and we come to know it uh, from, from truths that are intellectually self-evident, right, and we can actually prove his existence, well, then we, then we know it not simply by faith, but then it becomes uh, a, a way of knowing that truth uh, by, by uh, proof, right, by a rational inference from necessary truths. So we can show that it would follow by reason. And so faith and reason support one another. But there are truths of the faith which transcend reason, all right? Mm-hmm. So we, we would call those truths of the faith per se. Could and, you give us an example of that? Yeah, uh, an example would be uh, the, 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 the doctrine of the Trinity, right? That God mm-hmm. is, is, is one uh, nature in three persons. So this is something that cannot be proven. It, it can only be known by God revealing it. And so our only way of knowing that is to t- uh, take God at his word. And so that 
you know, would not be something that we would accept on the basis of a rational inference from necessary truths, right? We, we would accept that at, on the basis of God's credible testimony, which he has given to us through Jesus Christ, who is the fullness of divine revelation. So the, the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of the Incarnation always go hand in hand. You know, that in Christianity we, we understand uh, that, uh, you know, that, that uh, the second person of the Trinity, the Eternal Word, assumed human nature and became man, and he constitutes the fullness and completion of all revelation. And so it is through that divine intervention into the temporal order that God has made known to us truths that transcend our ability to reason or infer to them in a natural way. And we, we, we accept them because this is what God uh, has uh, communicated to us uh, so that we might know Him and understand uh, his, the fullness of His plan for our happiness. And when a culture wants to put the emphasis on reason and and do away with faith, then they're really they're uh, sort of nearsighted, aren't they? Well, yes. I mean, there is no opposition between faith and reason, but unfortunately, in our culture, there have been philosophical movements that try to create an opposition between them where there is none. I mean, this is something okay. that Augustine, St. Augustine struggled with that, right? He, he came to a realization that faith and reason, even in a natural way, you know, even before you begin talking about supernatural faith, that faith is already part of a mode of knowing for us, and that reason is informed by things that we take on faith. And you can't simply begin with your senses and your own intellect and reason yourself out to all truth, no. I mean, faith is involved in reasoning from the start. And, you know, just learning a language or being socialized into a culture, I mean, this is a matter of trust. It's a matter of taking things on faith. And and so no one, no one stands in isolation as kind of an individual knower. I mean, we're all we're all embedded in, in, a, in a personal context, in a society, and we're, we're all benefiting from, from faith as it informs reason. And so in a natural way, there's no opposition there, and in the same way, there's no opposition between the faith that we have in God and our natural reason. It is true that God communicates things to us which go beyond you know, our ability to grasp them fully. We can grasp them in part, but we can't grasp them fully. But that is in no way opposed to, to reason, right? It just transcends it. And so that, that's how we understand the relationship. I could give you a simple example uh, for, based on natural, okay. uh, you know, natural faith. I mean, think about well, how natural, helpful. yeah, natural faith goes beyond. You know, if I tell you, uh, you know, that I had uh, a bagel for breakfast, for example. Well, there, I've given you something that your only way of knowing that is to take my word for it, right? You, you really aren't in a position to prove it, right? You have to assess my word and decide whether is what I'm saying credible. 
You know, if I said, right. well, uh, you know, for breakfast I had, uh, you know, one of the rear tires on my van, I mean, you would find that rather incredible, right? So you would, you would not be inclined to believe that. But, I, but what I'm telling you is something that makes sense to reason. It, it's, it's a credible thing that he had a bagel for breakfast, all right? And you know me to be a trustworthy person, I hope. And so you would be inclined to, to take my word and, 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 believe, and believe it. But, but notice that accepting my word leaves your intellect a little bit in the dark. I mean, you, your intellect is involved in assessing the credibility of what I'm telling you, but it, it's not, the content of what I'm telling you is not provable, right? So right. there are certain things that are evident or provable, well, when we apply that to God, I mean, think about the things that God tells us that, well, you know, they go beyond, they go beyond our reason. We can see that, that it's not a contradiction, but it's hard for us to understand. If, if somebody says 2 plus 2 equals 4, our intellect loves that. I mean, we say, oh, yeah, that's obviously right. You know, we can, you yeah. know. Yeah, but if you say, you know, uh, God is... Uh, you know, three and one, well, our intellect stops and says, well, what do, what do you mean? You know, I mean, the, the intellect is, is not given what it hungers for, right? It's not given that kind of evidence. It, so right. what, is, what is the intellect given? Well, the intellect is given uh, uh, motives of credibility. It's given, it's given to see, well, I should accept this because it's a credible testimony even though I'm not in a position directly to, to judge, you know, the truth of it. So it's a participation in somebody else's knowledge, if you want the bottom line, right? To, to have and faith. that can be challenging. Because oh, yeah. so many yeah. people want to just base everything on their own observations, uh, sort of that relativism. And, and so it can be a real challenge because you have to trust others. And, you know, we're living in a culture where charity is growing colder um, rather than stronger. And, and so trusting others is harder to do. Absolutely. And, and th- that's really... <clears throat> the fundamental relation right there you brought up, charity. You know, faith stands and falls with the virtue of charity. Faith is a virtue, but it's being charitable to others, you know, and uh, accepting their word as credible and acknowledging them as those who are in a position to know certain things. If I'm not charitable toward others, if I'm habitually suspicious, right, you know, and that may or may not be my fault. Maybe, maybe I had a really bad experience, you know, maybe, maybe, right. the, maybe I have a psychological block. But, but whatever it is that blocks charity is going to block faith. And, and, and trust becomes difficult when you live in a culture where suspicion becomes a way of life, right? This, this makes oh, it difficult. It becomes difficult for people to to trust one another, and 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 certainly that's part of the fallen condition we're in. You know, the original sin uh, is a challenge when we when we attempt to be virtuous. But faith is fundamentally both a human virtue and a supernatural virtue. It's it's a virtue supernaturally because God has made it possible for us to believe him 
and therefore we can be in a relationship with God based upon charity, based upon trusting God's Word and entering into a friendship with God that is founded on that kind of trust. Well, you're really putting that in a, a beautiful way for us to understand and grasp it. And, and I'm thinking of um, what our Discalced Carmelite Saint, um, Saint John the Cross, uh, says about faith and reason and, and talking about this relationship between faith and reason um, like the light of the sun, which would be faith, uh, eclipsing the light of the stars, which would be reason. And so the light of faith eclipses the light of reason, but it does not get rid of it. It it just uh, enhances, right? Am I on the right track here? Oh, certainly. It, it elevates it. Faith, faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith takes the light of reason and divinizes it, right? Faith brings reason mm-hmm. into a higher order. So it, it perfects and completes reason. So we talk about the light of reason and the light of faith. When you got those together, you know, you, you, you have a way of knowing that goes beyond even what is humanly, humanly possible, but it does not negate or violate the human modes of knowing. It actually perfects them. This is, this is explained very nicely in the, in the papal encyclical that just came out from Pope Francis. Uh, this, that encyclical was begun by Pope Benedict. You know, there's kind of a, he did an encyclical on charity and he did an encyclical on hope. And now we have an encyclical on faith. And Pope Francis explained that he, he was using, uh, you know, the material that he received from Pope Benedict and then adding, uh, his own style and his own, uh, some of his own content to it. So, in chapter one and and all through the the new encyclical, I mean it 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 really gives a wonderful understanding of the nature of faith as as a form of enlightenment, right? Faith as enlightenment, but also as a journey. Faith faith is both. It has both of those elements. It's there's a light of faith that perfects the light of reason. Faith resides in the intellect, but when you have faith in the intellect, you know you've encountered the Lord. Then you're on your way. You're on. It's a development. Faith is developmental. You're you're on a journey into a greater and greater union with God. But again, it's always based on faith. So we can connect that in the Carmelite uh, spiritual spirituality with, you know, Teresa's way of perfection. The way of perfection uh, is based upon the virtue of faith and how it develops in our lives. Well, and then that kind of starts to answer this question, well, why do we need faith? Well, well, we need faith to grow in our love of God and neighbors. So uh, I remember the one quote from, from John um, about how faith is the proximate means for union with God. So can you kind of just, we've, we've only got about another minute before we have our little station break, but could you kind of address the necessity for faith? Well, without faith, you know, there's a lot that we're just in the dark about. I mean, think about what could we know about God if he had not revealed himself? Very little. 
right? And so our whole relationship with God, our understanding of what, what, what the meaning of our lives is and, you know, the meaning of suffering and everything we go through, it's informed by this enlightenment that we get from faith that makes sense. It makes, it makes everything intelligible for us over and above what is naturally uh, intelligible to us. Faith gives us a higher understanding, a new way of seeing. And, and in fact, it, is the, it, is, it, it, it enables us to see things as Christ sees them. And that's how Pope Francis puts it in his encyclical. And Pope Benedict said the same in Deus Caritas Est, his first encyclical. To enter deeply into faith is to acquire the mind and heart of Christ. And yes, in, inquir- yes. in inquiring the mind and heart of Christ, then we have his knowledge and his love. And, and so that becomes the foundation of everything we understand and all that we do. We, we, we have that. Go ahead. I think as a person uh, does put on the mind and heart of Christ, their, their perspective opens up and they grow in virtue because they are becoming more Christ-like by virtue of his grace. Yes, absolutely, and the, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we receive, you know, work for the perfection of all the virtues, uh, you know, both both uh, natural human virtues and the theological virtues themselves undergo a development and become perfect and stable in our lives, as as John. Okay, before brought. we before we go on with that, I'm going to have to interrupt you because we need to take a station break um, here on uh, Carmelite Conversations. But we will come back in just a little bit, and we'll be talking more about faith and its relationship to prayer and maybe how ways to increase our faith or what are obstacles to faith. So we'll be right back with Deacon Jameson in just a few minutes. Thank you. Thanks, friend.
listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis speaking, and we have our guest, Deacon Jameson, with us, and we're talking about prayer and faith. So, Deacon Jameson, we were just getting into, um, you were talking about the theological virtues, and we were maybe going to be approaching to um, what are the benefits of faith, um, how to strengthen our faith, what are the obstacles of faith. So, where would you like to take it next? Well, we should relate faith to prayer. Um, okay, great. That That is really um, what John of the Cross explains so well. And the unifying concept there, again, is the concept of virtue. So people often don't think this way about prayer, but that's really the truth about prayer and the way the doctors of the Church explain it, that, that prayer is is a kind of virtue. You know, and the foundation of our uh, life of prayer is 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 the virtue of faith. So, if we can understand how those are related, then we really see the whole program for for spiritual growth unfold before us. So, how would we define prayer? Well, one way to define prayer would be uh, prayer is recollection of the mind and heart toward God in faith and love. That's one way to define it. Prayer is is the recollection of the mind and heart. In other words, our conscious thoughts and desires, our own inner life, right, is recollected toward God in faith and prayer. I mean, in love, in faith and love, and all that those entail. Can so, you explain that word "recollected" for us? All right. Well. To be recollected is uh, a question of where is your mind at, right? You know, to be recollected in something is to be preoccupied with it. So we are all naturally preoccupied and recollected in ourselves. So think about, you know, the course of the day. What goes through your mind and heart when you wake up in the morning? And how, how how is your mind occupied throughout the day? And for most of us, you know, we do a lot of worrying, for example. So if we if we are inclined to that, it may be that most of the day we spend recollected in worry, right? Mm-hmm. But there, there are other ways to be recollected in ourselves. Um, you know, uh, there are certain techniques of meditation uh, which come from the Eastern tradition, which try to help us overcome worry and to, and to have a peaceful uh, uh consciousness, so to speak, and uh, there are certain things that are done, but the, it's still a recollection in the self, right? It isn't, right. it's not beyond the self, but it's a, it's a different way of being recollected. Or you might take the example of music, you know, if you, if you really like a certain form of music and you, and you begin your day with that song, it, you may be recollected in that song for hours the rest of your day, and you're going about your business, and you've got you know you've got this music in your head the whole time, and that's where you're recollected, and it can affect your emotion and your attitude. You know, it can it can affect your whole day by what you're recollected in, and so right. it's a question of where where are our conscious thoughts and desires? What what is it that we're preoccupied with? Right? Where where are we in our hearts? That's a question. You know, how are we recollected? 
And so, then when we take that regulation, recole- recollection and, and put ourselves in the presence of the Lord, that's when prayer starts to happen, right? Yes, prayer is when we turn and recollect ourselves, not in ourselves, but we turn and open our subjectivity up toward God in faith and love. So we, we, we begin, you know, this is where our mind and heart has the potential to be filled with the presence of Christ, that, that the faith and love that God infuses in our intellect and will, you know, in the very depths of our soul, faith and love are infused in us, you know, you know, especially by, the, you know, it be, this life begins with baptism through the sacraments, you know, we're, we, right. we are filled with this infusion of grace and, and the grace of faith and, and divine charity. We possess these in our souls, but the question is, well, has that broken through into your consciousness, you know, has it become right. personal? Do you have a personal friendship, relationship with with God. I mean, is is God present to you through the day, uh, or or where where is your mind and heart at? I mean, at some point, you know, uh, it's got to it's got to break through into your consciousness and 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 develop uh, relationally, and and that is that is really the foundation of spiritual growth. And we say that's prayer. All right, prayer is when my consciousness now in its in my thoughts and desires. It's when I'm now directed, you know, toward God. Of course, you could be recollected toward God in hatred. I mean, that's possible. You know, maybe you can't stop thinking about God because you're so, you know, because because you have hatred, or or it just might be, you know, something might have happened, and it might be uh, anger, right? You can you can be recollected toward God in anger, even. But to be blaming God, yeah. Yeah, but to be recollected toward God in faith and love means you're taking him out of his word, you're hearing his voice, you're seeking his guidance, and you're trying to conform your desires to his desires. And so the, the monks in the Western, you know, in the Catholic Christian tradition, we, we understand that, you know, we develop this virtue of prayer by paying attention to our thoughts and desires. And the monks often talk about you know, watch your thoughts like a good fisherman watching for fish. Why? Yes. Oh, because cause some of those are coming from God, right? You, you have to acquire this inner sensitivity. We have to be sensitized to the voice of God and, and begin to move at the impulse of His direction. If we don't acquire... And that's rather hard. That's rather hard in our society today because we're so inundated with outer stimuli. We've got the radio on, the TV on, we're around lots of people, and we, we don't sit to ponder. We don't get away in silence and solitude, which, you know, we, we need to help our sanity and, and to help have that time with God, that intimate time. Absolutely, and, and unfortunately, the, the way we are just saturated in media and, and other things in, in our culture nowadays, it it makes it difficult to pray. It, 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 we don't, you know, when, when you are, when you, when you don't have all that noise in your life, then you, your, your mind will much ease, much more readily focus on, uh, God and, 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 uh, and ultimate truths, right? And so, so, you know, C.S. Lewis says, the goal, the goal of, of, uh, the devil, 
C.S. Lewis says, is to fill the world with noise. Because if he can fill the world with noise, he's going to drown out that voice, you know, that voice of God that's reaching out to us. And, and mm, so that's, yes. that's the struggle in our lives. If we want to enter deeply into prayer, we've got we to gotta find some quiet. We've got sh- you know, you know, to imitate Christ and get up early in the morning in order to have that solitude and that silence where we can tune in to the Father and we can have that relationship. That, that entails turning off the, the, the computer and turning off the phone and the radio and whatever. I mean, it just, you know, shutting it down and listening, the, cultivating that listening to, to, to God's voice in our hearts. And by, by doing that, by praying, actually praying, you have to have a, a, a bit of faith to actually pray, but then by the actual praying, your faith is increased because uh, you, you start to understand more and more how God is our strength and he is in charge and he's the only one that can make something good out of the mess of things, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. And, and John and Teresa tell us that as faith increases, as faith is perfected, right, faith itself becomes more and more of an enlightenment. We speak of purgation, illumination, union. Well, what we need to communicate to to, uh, everyone who's interested is, you know, faith really is an enlightenment. You know, we don't, we don't, in the Eastern tradition, we always called baptism an enlightenment. And you say, well, you know, if you're baptizing a little baby, what, what kind of enlightenment are they going to have? Well, this enlightenment is something that is infused in potential, in potency. It's infused into our souls. And as we grow spiritually, it becomes a brighter and brighter light. And so our relationship, you know, under the right conditions, we we are actually enlightened with with a new way of knowing, uh, and it's 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 a mystical spiritual uh, form of knowledge that is very real and objective. It's not just feelings. It's not just something you know subjective. And no, this is an objective way of knowing God and knowing others and knowing the world around us. That that faith becomes in our in our mind and heart, and and that. And I'm re- I'm remembering the story of St. Therese, the little flower. Um, she was so good at practicing faith. She was so strong. Uh, and she would talk about how, you know, in the moment when she needed it, the grace would pre- be provided, and she would have these lights that would give her what she needed at that moment. And so we're not talking about visions, locutions, and all of that. We're talking about just the light of faith that informs her and directs her and that she responds positively to so in in just little ways uh throughout the day how she practiced this yes she lived it out perfectly i mean she you you see in her life you know how it wasn't so much about visions and locutions and 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 those are incidental to the life of faith really you can have you can reach the perfection of faith without ever having any kind of special uh extraordinary experience, you know, right. you, you you go that simple little way, and you can go, you know, to the height of, of perfection, and, and knowing, knowing God indirectly uh, through the light of faith, and, and that is, you know, transforming your mind and your heart, 
and, and so that you are receiving a kind of indirect way of seeing God that you never imagined possible, right? Again, it resides in the intellect. It's not the beatific vision, right? But it is an intellectual vision, as Teresa calls it. So it's an indirect, objective way of knowing God that God wants to give to everyone. He wants everyone in this life to know Him in that way and to receive the beatific vision in the next life. So that is what He's trying to offer us and bring us to as He calls us to faith. Well, I can see how faith is foundational to our prayer. So now I'm going to ask you, well, how how do we go about increasing our faith? Yes, well, if you read Therese, you see that the way faith is increased is it's put to the test. You know, that, yes. That, yes. That, if we keep in mind, we keep in mind that faith is a virtue, and and that if we want virtues to be perfected in us, there's only one way, and that is for those virtues to be exercised and put to the test. So, I, again, the foundational concept here is that of is that of virtue. Now, I, I like the way Saint Augustine. Uh, explains virtue, and he, St. Augustine, in the City of God, he, he explains that virtue means that love is set in order within us. That means that we love the things with the love that they ought to have, right? That we love mm-hmm. things rightly, we don't love them inordinately. Now, the struggle in our lives is that we typically love creatures more than the Creator, right? And we typically are more attached to lower goods than higher goods, right? And so St. Augustine uses the example, you know, if a miser, uh, you know, he, he has that vice there, and if he prefers gold to justice, right, he would rather hoard gold than distribute it to the poor, right? If he prefers gold to justice, it's not it's not the fault of the gold, it's the fault of the miser, right? And he says it's right. the same with every created thing. It's, it's a struggle for us to love things the way, you know, with just that degree of love that we ought to give them, and to recognize that there's a hierarchy there, a hierarchy of goods, and that some goods have preference to others. And it goes all the way up until we reach God, and when we come to God, we see... God as love itself is deserving of our love absolutely, right? And so virtue mm-hmm. means that we are loving things rightly. It means that we have, you know, that we have habits to love things rightly. And so th- this is the kind of training that the Lord gives us. He, he, he enables us to begin to love things rightly so that we love justice more than hoarding gold and we, we become detached from things that previously had a hold on us. And, and this is how we develop in, in virtue. And we, we begin to take pleasure in that. So if you think about, you know, somebody who's temperate, they, 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 they don't find abstaining a big burden, right? It's not as though being virtuous is something just painful and difficult, although it may be at first, but it undergoes this development where it becomes easy and delightful, and we learn to take pleasure in virtue rather than uh, being too attached, uh, right? Or, or think about the joy of learning, you know, uh, think about a studious person, someone who has the virtue of being studious, 
would be someone who loves to learn. They, they delight in the joy of understanding. They, they, they find that more delightful than, than, than even the, you know, the pleasures of the temp, you know, of the body, for example. You know, a lot of the pagans would emphasize that. You know, the stories told of Aristotle that he, he loved to study so much that he, he would hold uh, uh, his brush above his plate, and when he would nod off, he would let go, and it would clang on the plate, so he could wake up and study <laughs> some more. <laughs> you know, well, why is I mean, it's because he was so joyous about learning. He 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 loved it more than sleeping. You know, he he mm-hmm. he wanted he wanted to do that all the time. And he said, "I'm designed to learn and study, and I'm going to pursue truth, and that's the best thing in me, and I'm going to live for that." And the pleasures that I have in common with you know uh, animals, I, I'm not that. That's not you know. I, I'm going to let those go. I mean, they don't matter so much to me anymore. And so he loved learning. He had discovered that joy of learning, and that took possession of his soul. Well, the same thing happens in the spiritual life when you discover the joy of praying, right? You know, it yes. takes a lot of effort sometimes to to enter into study to the point where you become, you know, it becomes delightful to you. The same thing's true of prayer. You know, right, at first, right, because at we first. Have, yeah, yeah, we have distractions and dryness and aridity, and we we've got to prove our love that we're we're there in good times and bad, and that this is a relationship, you know, per, that we want to pursue because of our love for God. Yes, and at first, prayer, you know, frankly, it's it's like you know, it's it's just boring, right? So you you don't know what to do, and you can be real bored with it and discouraged, and 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 that's where God says. You know, persevere with this. Be persistent in prayer. Persevere with this. And and it's God who begins to make it delightful, right? You acquire the joy of praying like you acquire the joy of learning. There, It takes effort, absolutely. Teresa always emphasizes this requires effort. But if we draw close to God, you know, and practice this, then He draws close to us. So it's always ascetical mystical, right? It's always right. We, we draw close to God in self-discipline and in active trying to acquire virtue, especially the virtue of prayer, being recollected toward God in faith and love throughout the day. You know, we do all we can to find delight in that and to practice that, and God will perfect it. God will give us a grace of prayer infuse that into our mind and heart and just captivate our mind and heart in a way that is just will stun us right it will it it, it will be it will be uh almost you know it, it'll be as close to uh heaven as we can get here on earth right right well, you know, I was thinking of, you know, some tangible things that we do at various levels to increase our faith. And, and they're just simple things like thanking God for the gift of faith or making acts of faith like, you know, I am Jesus, I believe you, uh, help me in my unbelief. Or like you were talking about studying, reading of books uh, to enlighten, you know, study scripture um, and then avoid whatever troubles your faith. Avoid situations that challenge your faith. 
Um, you know, when when we are a, a weaker athlete, we don't go into the championship ring. <laughs> We've got to develop some skills first. And so um, we we realize where we're at and, you know, our dependence on God to to build us up and, and our response to him. But, you know, we, we got to remember to shun that pride of intellect, to to know that our intellect is limited and, and God is beyond all. And so as soon as we try to define him, we put him in a box. So we, we've got to go by that way of unknowing. So I, um, we only have about five more minutes left. Could you speak a little bit about this, uh, the darkness of faith, this way of unknowing a little bit? Well, faith transcends the intellect. So faith has two properties we speak of. We, we say that faith is absolutely certain, but it's also indirect and obscure. So the darkness of faith is its obscurity, right? Because it does right. tra- it transcends the intellect. Now, as, as faith undergoes perfection through prayer, now remember, recollection can be either active or infused, right? We, we do everything in our power to recollect ourselves in the presence of God throughout the day, but God also infuses recollection into us to make to make it possible, you know, to pray as often as we draw a breath, the way St. Gregory Nazianzen puts it. You know, he, he makes it possible that in a way that transcends our very nature. Now, the way that happens, as John of the Cross explains it, is faith, faith is the knowledge that is proper to divine love. So... The knowledge that we have by faith is something that comes through the will. It comes through our love, our, our, it comes through the love that God infuses in our heart, in our, in our will and in our heart, you know, that can become a new way of knowing Him. So it's, it's as if the, the, the love and the will is pouring over into the intellect, and, in, and therefore into the mind, so that we can have a new way of knowing. But this transcends the natural operation of the intellect, because the intellect, by its nature, naturally, wants to reason on the basis of evidence. And right. so when, mm-hmm. when, this, when this begins to happen, the intellect is in the dark, and it's, not, it's often not happy, right? And it can even get in the way, right? It, it, it may be that as, you, as your faith is perfected, you know, and you're undergoing this kind of night of faith that Therese describes, you may find yourself suffering from involuntary doubts, right? And, and, and you feel like you're in the dark, and you, you feel like you've lost God, and, and yet you're actually getting closer to God. And, and how do we make sense of that? What, what is happening there? Well, the Carmelite uh, saints tell us the way to understand that is that is how your faith is being perfected. That is, that is where you're exercising your faith now with the strength provided by God. And so if you don't go into the darkness, your faith isn't going to be perfected. It will remain shallow. It will remain immature. But if you embrace the darkness, and, and take, take God at His word and know that darkness is always followed by the light of day and, and trust, you know, trust God in that, in that, in that trial that, that then you, you will, your, the virtue of faith will be perfected in your heart, in your mind, uh, along with, uh, the, the recollection that God is giving you through that development. 
And so you were talking about we we, we kind of went around the acts of faith, but then the living out of faith. And so maybe more advanced souls, you know, uh, some of the things they could do. I I'm I'm reading this from um, spiritual um, the spiritual life by Adolf Tankeri. And he said, advanced souls practice not only faith, but the spirit of faith. And, and I just wanted to hit these four points, and then I'm going to let um, Deacon Jameson summarize here, and then we'll have a closing prayer. Boy, this time goes by so fast. But some of the things advanced souls can do is they can read the gospel with loving attention, happy to follow Jesus step by step to relish his maxims, to contemplate his examples in order to imitate them. Uh, another thing they can do is accustom themselves to see all things, judge all things from the point of view of faith, seeing the hand of God in all around. Um, another thing is to be led in all things according to the principles of faith, that the, their judgments are based upon the maxims of the gospel and not of the world, that their words are inspired by the Christian spirit and not the spirit of the world. Their actions are more and more Christ-like as they delight in uh following and imitating Christ, their leader, their their life. And then finally, to spread about them this faith through their prayers, through their examples, through their words, and through their works. So um, that's just a little uh, applicable um, things that we can do. So um, Deacon Jameson, uh, we're, we're running out of time very quickly. Could you kind of do a quick summary and then we'll do a closing prayer. And I'm so grateful that you're here with us tonight. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here, Francis. And I would just say, why don't we tie it back into St. Martha and St. Mary? I mean, that's kind of the, today we remember uh, uh, the memorial to St. Martha. And um, Teresa describes uh, their relationship and and says, you know, when we reach the advanced stages of faith and prayer, that is the point at which Mary and Martha in our lives, they're working together, right? And so yes. the purpose of prayer is always works, as you mentioned. So prayer terminates in good works and primarily in advancing the kingdom of God, right? Working, uh, working for charity, working for justice, but also evangelizing. So our faith comes alive and becomes effective apostolically in our lives. And what we find is that Mary and Martha are, are, are working together in our lives, and we have contemplation and apostolic activity happening in our lives at the same time. And so we are formed to be apostles of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and uh, to sit at his feet, but also to, to feed uh, Christ uh, as we feed the poor and to, and to reach out to others uh, with the, with the good, goodness of faith. It's very simple. We simply share the joy, the joy of faith. <laughs> And you do that well. I'm so glad you're with us. And um, I'll have to go back and listen to this program because I want to soak it in more. But let us close now with this prayer from the Westminster Diocese. It's short and sweet, but it's very powerful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, let me see your face, know your heart, and experience your love in my life. Strengthen in me the precious gift of faith. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to thank our listening audience, and especially thank you, Deacon Jameson. Please come back and join us again on Carmelite Conversations. Okay, will do. Okay, God bless. Listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.